And I don't know about you all and how you grew up and what you ate. I'm pretty sure that if you're local or native, we all had some similar Thanksgiving food. But in the South, where uh, Lane is from, uh, when they first told me what we were about to eat in Tennessee, uh, some of the things they've said uh, really never work with my na'au, if you know what I'm saying, right? For instance, there's this thing called pineapple casserole. And she explained to me what a pineapple casserole was. And I'm very judgmental when it comes to holly food. Can I get a witness out there, right? And so she told me, well, it's pineapple, has cheese, has Ritz cracker, and it has splendor on it. Uh, it, Hold on. When you've never experienced, and all you hear is the ingredients of it, it's kind of shady. Right? Um, I mean, I, I can handle like pineapple pizza, right? Hawaiian pizza. That, that's ono and all that. But it just didn't fit with me. Ritz cracker. Like, Ritz cracker is not a meal to me. You know, Ritz cracker is just snack, bro, you know? But if you've never tasted a pineapple casserole, you've never experienced Jesus this morning. It will change your life. Another thing that they have that we have, but they call it a different name, is dressing, okay? Now, I don't know what this looks like. They're just telling me, oh, you're going to love my grandmama's dressing. What the heck is a dressing? I mean, the thing you put on salad, Hawaiian. I don't look like this because I eat salad. <laughs> you know, like dressing. You know what dressing is in the South? Stuffing. Well, Lolo, say stuffing next time, Right? And all that, but stop it. And they may, it's a little different how we make it, but it's ono, right? And so, and I'm grateful and I'm thankful for these different cultures and traditions, but this is the one time I'm going to let you not be spiritual in this room today, okay? And on the count of three, I want you to say, as we focus on Thanksgiving, what is the biggest thing that you are thankful for? Remember, you don't have to get the Jesus answer this morning, okay? You can be unspiritual and all this, all right? You can say whatever you want. Even if it's wrong, I'll let you say it because the word will be preached after this, okay? All right, so on the count of three, say what you're grateful or thankful for. One, two, three. One, two, three. Okay, food. I got, all I heard was food. All right, we're grateful for food. I guess that's not taking it spiritual. Let me tell you what I'm grateful for. Let me tell you what I'm thankful for. Let me show you. It's on the screen. I want to show you a picture of a couple. I'm grateful for people like the Angel family. This is Ryan and Charlie Angel. Ryan was one of my youth in youth groups when I was a pastor in Tennessee. Ryan, let's just be face it, was your typical pothead. All right? He would tell his mom that he's coming to youth group, but he would go down the road from the church and have a doobie. Alright? And he was, he was, that was his identity. Then I took a sabbatical this year to Tennessee, and I got a Facebook message by Ryan. And now this is, oh guys, six, seven years later. He probably came literally to youth group sober maybe once, right? Maybe once. But he was a good athlete, football player. He was an amazing football player. Went off to college. And then, I've never heard of him again in six, seven years. Till we were back in Tennessee in sabbatical. And Ryan messaged me and said, Hey, Pastor Zeke, 
You may not remember me, Hawaiian. I was just like you. I remember you. All right. I said, well, I gave my life to Jesus a few years ago in this ministry called, it is ministry at University of Tennessee uh, Tech, uh, which is 30 minutes from where I preached. Uh, at, and, and I met my wife. My wife is a first generation Christian. Her parents don't know Jesus, but we were, we were met at this Christian ministry and we got saved there. We met there. We started serving there. We, we fell in love. We got married and we're about to have our first child. All right. So uh, we want to meet with you because God has called us to the mission field. And then, man, you got to imagine, right? Like, I, I, I'm re- reminiscing my life. Like, everybody, the way they taught about Ryan, they taught about Zeke, right? Uh, even friends today still think it's not genuine Christianity, right? And, and so I was like, man, that's awesome. So we meet with them at a real Mexican restaurant. Can I get a witness out there, right? Not Taco Bell, Hawaiians, all right? Like, on real, in the South, they have the, all the Mexicans come over there, and they, they make the best food in the world, man. I'm telling you. We go there. It was, yeah, amen, Cajo Marcus, El, El, yeah, El Mexico, all right? Yeah, well, anyway, he shares this story with me, and he tells me, hey, we're going to, we feel called to the nation of Chad. If you don't know where Chad is, Chad is in West Africa, northern West Africa. And if you do not know about the culture of Chad, it is 90% Muslim, all right? And when we say Muslim, we say you could be killed for your faith if you're a Christian. And said, so, wow, there's something big. This bugger, he go harder. Like, he, he go, and man, it was so encouraging. We got to talk to each other, and he wanted us to partner with each other. But even right now, they move their lives from, and you got to imagine, the, the town he's from, you don't move. You stay there five, six, seven generations because everybody owns land. Like everybody knows your last name. Even him, he's, their last name is well known. But God has called him away from what he's known normal. To go to someplace unnormal. Unfamiliar. Un- unterritorial. And right now they relocated to, to Quebec, Canada. To learn the, the, the language that they're going to speak in, in Chad. And, and when they get there, their main goal is to see Muslims come to faith in Jesus. I'm grateful for people like the angel family. I'm grateful that people don't see their hometown as the end goal, but the starting point. Let me say that again. I'm grateful for people who does not see their hometown as the end goal, but the starting point. You know what my dream is? That every one of you would leave Hilo. Those of you who are from the Big Island, that born, raised here, Kanaka, Maole, or Loco, you guys will get out of this place. Why? Because there is places like Chad without the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I've heard the comments. Why do people want to go over there when we can be right here? Usually those are the people that aren't doing nothing at all that make comments like that. They have no significant impact. I promise you, the stats don't lie. But as a Kanaka Maoli who have left this place and who've been around the world, it will change your life. It will give you a better view of the biblical Jesus and not the Jesus wrapped up in your mind. That's not biblical. Can I ask you a favor? Will you pray about leaving? Will every one of you pray about leaving? For the gospel. 
over 7 billion people in this world, less than 2 billion identify themselves as a follower of Jesus. Will you pray about it? And if God's called you to go to the ends of the earth, watch what he does. Watch what he's, yeah, yeah, it's easy to stay because grandpa and grandma and, and my mara and all this is here, right? That's the kind of mentality, but listen to me. Luke 14 says, unless someone loves me more than anyone else, they cannot be my disciples. In fact, he uses the word hate. That you must hate everything compared to me. I want you to think about the McBees. I want you to think about the Blairs. People who are living life like the angels. I don't know, they're all from Tennessee. I guess there's more Jesus or something in Tennessee, right? Think about them. They're not here just to be an example and a model. They're here to send you out. To develop you. To train you. So if you got your Bibles, and I hope you do, would you turn to the beautiful passage of Romans 5. Paul is writing to the Roman church, the Roman Christians, and he's encouraging them by the grace of God. He's encouraging them doctrinally. For the last few weeks, we've been talking about this Jesus made up in our own mind versus Jesus in Scripture. And we realize many of us in church today, specifically in America, struggle with theology because they, they have a different Jesus from the Bible. They think it's Jesus and they'll say it's Jesus. But what God does, He identifies some strong truths to the life of Paul in this letter of Romans. I want you to stand in the reading of God's Word. I want you to see, and I pray that God would illuminate your heart. In Romans chapter 5, verse 20 and 21, it says, Now the law came to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, say that word with me, grace abound all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, Grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. God, I pray that you would change some hearts today. And you would convict them. If you're calling them to go to the ends of the earth, would you make that evident? Not by manipulation of my personal experience, but from the truth of the word. God, make your word known. Hawaii is not a pre-Christian location. Hawaii is a post-Christian nation. They've heard the gospel. They know what to do with it. Not all of them may know genuinely or theologically, but most of them, Lord, that is in this room, I believe have heard sound doctrine. And so we pray that they would embrace it and that they would do something with it. For the advancement of your kingdom, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, God's Ohana says, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. We're going to end our series on mercy and grace today. And last week we talked about the doctrine of mercy. And this is what we identified in the doctrine of mercy. That God, mercy is God not giving us what we do deserve. What do you say that with me? One, two, three. God not giving us what we do deserve. Alright, this is means that God it holds back His wrath from sinners like you and I. The children who, who are making you like 
lose your hair this morning in service, right? The white hairs you're gaining from your kids or your, or your spouse, right? Like, like, this is a reminder that God withholds His wrath from us. We address that very clearly in the areas of that this is the result of mercy. Number one, mercy gave us help. Number two, mercy gives us happiness. Number three, mercy gives us holiness. And number four, mercy gives us spiritual help. That's what mercy does. That's the result of mercy. We learned that last week from the Psalm 67. And that the result of this mercy was, man, I get to praise God. I get to make Him known. With the relationship I have, because the mercy God has given me, I get to do what most of the world is not doing today. The six billion, the five billion I mean. They are followers of Christ and I get to do what they can't do right now until they meet someone like us. Can I get a witness, right? If you've experienced God's mercy, give me an amen out there, right? There's truth to that. But today, I want to talk to you about the doctrine of grace. Grace is the opposite of mercy. It's God giving to us what we don't deserve. What What don't we deserve? We don't deserve a relationship with a holy God. Every one of us will be guilty as charged if we went through a list of sins and we would admit that every one of us are sinners. Amen? But God's grace says despite our sin, He's going to give to us sinners what we do not deserve. Mercy, He withholds what we do deserve. Grace, He gives what we don't deserve. We don't deserve a relationship with a holy God. Romans 5 makes it very clear. It says it very clear that where there is trespass, where there is sin, all right, where there is sin, grace abounds all the more. So, so I'm going to give you just two truths today, and we'll be pauhana, short like last week. But number one, when it comes to the doctrine of grace, God reveals His grace through the law. Let me say that again. God reveals, showcases, all right, His grace through His law. The word begins by saying this in verse 20, 20, now the law, right, came to increase the trespass. What does that mean? How do you break that down? Well, listen to this biblical truth, right? The law was created to expose man's greatest problem. Say it with me, which is sin. I want you to ponder on that a little. The reason why the law, right, specifically, right, the law, the commandments of God, they exist to expose our very issue. Listen to me. Your issue is not smoking. Your issue is not drinking. Though 50 years ago, preachers would say that. Your issue is not looking at the wrong things you shouldn't look at. Saying the wrong things you shouldn't say, especially to your spouse, right? Those aren't your issue. You let me tell you your issue? Sin. Paul makes it clear. Now the law came to increase the trespass. This is the problem. Sin by its definition means that we break God's very law. Every sin we have committed and we will commit is the result of what we would call in theological circles original sin. 
It's a true doctrine that we hold fast in this church. Original sin doesn't start from us. Original sin starts in the garden. Genesis chapter 3. God gave a clear instructions to the man and the woman. And they, I can't go through all of it. You can read it for yourself. But it's very clear that they did not obey God. Therefore, they have become sinners. And listen to me. God wasn't even technically clear about the law at the time. There was one law. You can eat this and you cannot eat that. Simple law, right? Only one law. Hawaiians, listen to me. Children, if your law in the house, listen to me, is to just go bed at 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock, praise God. It gets worse when you get older. Like, if you don't pay your bills, you'll get kicked out. I? The law wasn't clear until we get to this book called Exodus. And in chapter 20, God gives these 10 rules to his people to increase the trespass. You guys heard me? So, so here's two realities about the law of God. Number one, the law can only condemn sin. Let me say that again. The law can only condemn sin. In Exodus 20, the 10 rules, the 10 commandments as we know it, says that we shouldn't worship false idols. We shouldn't make false idols. And we all do that every day. We should not take God's name in vain. We should not dishonor the Sabbath. We should not uh, dishonor our parents. We shall not murder. We shall not be adulterous. We shall not steal. We shall not bear false witness. Or in other words, gossip. We shall not be covetousness. Or we shall not be jealous. But how many in this room would say that we have covered all those sins already in our own life? Listen to me. This law increases the trespass in your life. This law exposes our sin. Number two, the law cannot save us from sin. If the law can only condemn us from sin, the law cannot save us from sin. What the law does, the law only does what the law does, even in our context today. It makes us guilty. Alright? Some of you have dishonored the law in this, in this state or nation, whatever you want to call it, right? By not, by not, by not having a driver's license. Man, that's big over here in Hawaii. Plenty of people drive without driver's license over here. It's a big thing. Plenty of people drive without insurance. Like, you're breaking the law. And the law is there to expose your sin. And that's what Paul is, Paul is saying, that the law cannot, can only condemn you. And because it can only condemn you, the law cannot save you. How do I know that? Because the last speeding ticket Kahuzi got last year, I had to pay for that, that bugger. And I can promise you, never go to Hilo High football team. And probably go to one of those donuts, those makais we eat out of there. I don't know. Inside joke. That's the reality. Like, I have to pay for that, man. And like, it was like five miles over the speeding limit. Wink, wink, right? Like, like, like I want you to see. Verse 20 says, now the law came to increase the trespass. But then look at this. But where sin increased, well, here's the joy. Grace abound all the more. Here's a biblical truth. Though the law can't save us, 
it does point us to our need for salvation. Let me say that again. Like, like this, is, this is a gift from God. Thank God that you've given us your law. If you've been with us for any time, you know we're going to preach sin every Sunday. Anytime we gather, we're going to preach it hard until you get it. And then when you get it, we're going to preach it again. Right? I want you to see this. That's what it means that grace would abound all the more. Apart from God's law, grace cannot abound. How would you know that grace is good if you don't know why the law exists because of your sin? Right? Uh, There's a man, his name was Matt in Tennessee. And Matt grew up in the church all his life. But when he came around 18, like most Christians growing up in the church, he walked away from the Lord. And Matt... Matt did some horrible things in his life. Went to the military. He killed some people. He did all this, all that. Justified killing, all this stuff, right? But he did more things than that. Went on, went on, went on, went on. And maybe 15 years later, things just got hard in his life. Right? Mentally, physically, spiritually. He started to come back to church. He went back to the place where he felt secure. And his sister, who was one of my youth leaders, directed Matt to me. Matt came over to my house. I mean, you guys ever see Larry the Cable Guy? He looks exactly like Larry the Cable Guy to the T. Talks like him, sounds like him, funny, brother. But man, it was at this moment, well, man, he wasn't funny, he was serious. And he asked the question, because our, our pastor at the time preached on salvation. And he said, he, asked, he said, Brother Zeke, that's what they call pastors in, uh, in, the, in, in the South. Brother Zeke, uh, uh, why do I need to be saved? You know, like, and, and, the, and that was a good question. Have you ever thought about that? Why do you need to be saved? And I got to share with him Ephesians 2, 1 to 3. One of my favorite passages that we talk about all the time. I want you to see these words. It says, And you were what? Dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power there. Who's that prince of the power? Satan, right? The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and by the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. I said, Matt, is this you? Guess what Matt said? Yup. So I asked Matt, I'm going to ask you the same question you asked me. Why do you need to be saved? He says, well... This is why, I'm not going to say it out loud, but this is what he said in his context. I'm an F up. I'm an F up. That's the way he said it. Yes, we are all F ups in this room. And I say that seriously. In our sin, we are all messed up, wretched people. Paul even says in Romans, like, in a few chapters later, like, who would save us from this body? And he makes it known. And here's the joy of God's law. The joy of God's law is that it confronts our sin. You should be excited that God in His sovereign grace has used the law to expose what is wrong with you and what is wrong with me and what is wrong with mankind. But listen to me. If it's only the law this morning, it's incomplete. Why? Because the law cannot save anyone in this room from their habitual sin. We need an answer. We need a, an atonement. We need a covering. We need someone to pay the piper. 
We need someone greater than us that who is clean, that who is holy, that who is righteous in of himself, not from another source, but he is completely perfect. We need someone to pay that. There needs to be a payment for sin. Something or someone needs to pay the punishment for sin. And we would all agree that we aren't competent or qualified for that position. Can I get a hearty amen this morning? We aren't competent for that. But I'll tell you what we are competent of. Everyone over here can be judge and jury. Can I get a witness, right? We was on the sideline yesterday. I decided to go to the game after retiring for a short four, month, four weeks, right? I still retired, okay? I went on the sideline. But everybody, their mama, their auntie, their uncle, everybody is a judge and jury, right? Go on Facebook today. Everybody's a judge and jury. Man, I wish I would take that guy and dip him slowly in a pond of piranhas. KWXX Hawaiians. That's where I heard it from this week. Like, like everybody, like we are all judge and jury. We want to judge people. We want to be the verdict of the jury. We want to hit whatever that hammer thing, mallet, whatever thing, gavel, whatever you call it thing. We want to be the judge and the jury. But may we be the judge and jury for our own hearts before we look at anybody else's heart. May we look at our own hearts and say, man, this truth, this law exposes my own sin in and of itself. But what we recognize that is that if we disobeyed the law, then we need someone to fix that. Here's truth number two, and we'll be power. God reveals his grace through his precious son. This is his word. Oh, precious is the flow. That makes me white as snow. No other fault I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. That's the answer. God's grace. Is revealed through his precious son. Look at verse 21. It says, so that. All right, giving the answer. Why? Why does sin increase, right? What this the law increase in the trespass, right? Why does it expose our sin? Well, so that means here's the answer because of that, all right? It says, as sin reigned in death. That's what sin does, it separates us from God, makes us dead to him, a life to sin. It says, Grace also might reign through what? Righteousness leading to what? Eternal life through who? Muhammad Gandhi. Jesus Christ. If you feel convicted every Sunday and your heart is drenched with shame and guilt, praise God. Praise God from all who blessings flow. I would say that if you're not convicted, beware. Because your reward is not great. You should be convicted. 
You should receive truth. This is, this is why uh, churches have a hard time to grow who are, our, who are like us, gospel-centered, who preach on sin every week. Because you're going to hear people, oh, why does he always have to preach on sin? Because Jesus did. And he is our hope. That's how God reveals himself to us. It's through his son. So I want you to hear this reality truth. Because of grace, the law, let me say it again. Because of grace, because of something you do not deserve, the law of God has been fulfilled in Jesus. Let me say it again because you didn't hear me very right. Because of grace, the law, which exposes your sin nature, right? Has been made fulfilled in the blood of the Lamb whose name is, help me out, Jesus. You need Jesus every day. And I want you to be very clear, right? There's churches out there that teach a doctrine that says the law is no longer anymore. That's not true. Christ did not do away with the law. He just fulfilled it. The law, think about it. Those who before Jesus came, they had to trust by faith in Jesus. They didn't see Jesus. All they knew was some prophecies about him. But it was the same Jesus that we look back 2,000 years that gave up his life for us. Here's some clarity of the gospel. God does not erase his law today. He fulfills it in his son. Matthew 5, Jesus says it this way. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them. But what? To fulfill them. And listen to me. The Ten Commandments wasn't even enough. It's just a starting point. Why? Because more sin increased. As you read Exodus. So therefore there's a book called Leviticus. And there is hundreds more of laws that existed because more sin increased. Today, we operate the same way in our judicial system. When there is more sin in our culture and our society today, the laws of the land add more Laws. Hello. I know. I go pray at the legislature meeting once in a while. They install new laws because where sin increases, the law increases more so that God's grace may abound. And here's some, ex- here's some concerns, concerns for me for Christianity today. It's a shame... That whenever we address people's sins, listen to me, I want you to be, I love you, so I'm going to say this, and you can stole me, I know where I'm going to go after this, alright? Alright? Not to purgatory, I'm going to heaven, so you can stole me after I say this, listen. It's a shame that whenever we address people's sin, we are labeled as being bigots, legalistic, judgmental, and hateful. Hey, one true friend, going to keep it 100 with me. Huh? I say in ha like I'm going to scrap. <laughs> okay? Huh? <laughs> Help me, Lord. However, this is the beauty of Jesus. This is the process of salvation. We are to be exposed, and it's in that exposure that we can get restored. We must be confronted before we can be conformed. Paul says that sin reign is death, which is confrontation. But Paul also says that grace also might reign through righteousness in Jesus, which is to be conformed. You cannot be a genuine believer in Jesus apart from being confronted about your sin first. 
That's a proper view of the gospel. And here's a few truths about conformity. True salvation. Number one, salvation is not an event. It's a process. Don't look at these big crusaders and conferences where, where some cool celebrity named Kanye West has thousands of people that trust in Jesus as Lord as Savior at his Sunday worship service. I'm not against that. But listen to me. Salvation is not an event, guys. Salvation is a process. Listen to me. I grew up in church. I made a false profession when I was 12 years old. I was baptized like every other child, right, Ulu? You and I got baptized on the same day. Were we believers in Jesus? No, we weren't. We were going through the motions of church. Our pastor, I mean, our dad was a kahu. Why not do it, right? Honor him, right? It had nothing to do with honoring God, right? And we didn't know theological ramifications of sin. We didn't know this. That's why I have questions when children accept Christ at a young age. Let's make sure we examine that heart. My son included, who made that profession. Let's examine. Salvation is not a one-time event. It is a process. Number two, salvation is not a decision. It's a gift. Now, that will break a lot of hearts in this room. Because whatever church you came from, people, pastors will tell you, all you got to do if you want to know Jesus is do what? This, walk down the aisle, say the Lord's Prayer. Did you know none of those things are in Scripture? Salvation is not a decision. Salvation is a gift. It lines up with the doctrine of grace. Grace means you cannot earn Jesus. To say you did something in a decision is to take away from the 100% work of the Father through His Son, through the regeneration of His Spirit. Number three, salvation is not based on works, but faith. Listen to me. If I base this church plant on what people do or don't do, we would have shut the doors four years ago, let me tell you that. No, we don't trust God based on what we do or what we don't do. We trust God with the gift He's given us, faith. Grace wasn't the only gift that God's given us. Faith was also the gift. And we'll on that. Number four, salvation is not temporary. Here's another kicker, right? It's eternal. For people who believe that they can lose their salvation, number one, salvation was never dependent on God. Salvation was dependent on that individual. Secondly, for people who believe that they can lose their salvation, a lot of churches, more majority of the churches teaches this in Hilo. I know majority of the pastors and the priests, they teach this doctrine. Listen to me. Doctrine of falling from grace. That's what it means. People who believe in this doctrine will have to take out every scripture that talks about eternal life. For instance, John 3, 16. And here's the deal. Because they don't understand the Greek language, and they just read English words for English words, but not identifying the literal language, they would say, they would use the word, for God so loved the world, that whoever believes in him, right there, that part, whoever believes, they would base that on man's ability to will. That's not in the Greek Read the text. It actually means that those who are believe don't believe because of their will. The word believes, the word pistis in the Greek, it means God's given that belief. Are you with me? All right? So whoever believes will have what? Eternal life. 
or temporary life? Did you say temporary life? I don't care if you don't know the Greek or Hebrew. Eternal means eternal. We have to identify this. This is a huge doctrine. This is what splits a lot of churches today. And I'm okay with splitting from churches if they do believe that their gospel is puny and weak. And I don't say that being arrogant. I say that in being bold in my father. His son. Why would Paul says, my God is able... To do exceedingly and abundantly everything we can ask or think. Why would God, why would Paul say that? Because he believed. His belief wasn't out of his will. His belief was out of the gift God gave him to will. Oh, but that's robotic kind of love. God don't make us robots. What do you mean? That's love. We're dead in our sins. What can a dead man do for himself? Nothing. That's love. That's genuine love. And so listen to me. Well, why is all this important? Because salvation has been paid by the Son of God. Listen to me. He is the one who sanctifies us. He is the one who gives us life. He is the one who's gifted us eternity. He is the one, because of who He is, we get to experience forever His glory. That's Jesus. If we jump over to chapter 6 of Romans, we can conclude what grace and faith is. Look at Romans 6 verse 1 to 4. It says, what shall we say? What shall we say then? Right? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Help me out. By no means. I love the urban Bible. It says, hell no. A true believer, one who really knows the gospel, will be changed. If you're not being changed by the gospel, you're worshiping a different gospel. Oh, quiet. No amens today. You guys thinking this way. The gospel we preach is a gospel that not just plants seeds, it changes lives forever. It's not a puny, weak God like Pele, like Lono, like Hiyaka. Made up gods. You can read historically. A lot of these gods, these are not from Hawaii. There's an issue with that. Now we can use the same debate for Jesus not being from Hawaii. But Jesus, listen to me. Jesus is the only God that I know that loves the world. You don't see missionaries from Hawaii going in the name of Pele and Lono to Japan. Hiyaka. Ku, Lono. You never know that you're passing through all those names. I came from that background. It's my family before Christianity. We worship these deities. In fact, many of you don't know, but I got a big statue in my closet. One guy with one big okole and all that. And many of you may not know who the God is, but it's cool. He is the God of war. He was also King Kamehameha the Great's favorite God. In fact, when the, the, when the flag is turned upside down, the Hawaiian flag, it actually represents ku, each color, that he's in distress. And so we should be. And I, I don't put it in my house because I worship ku. I put it in my house because we've been training our, student, our, our, our children as students of the scriptures. This is what false idols look like. We teach them the history and the context of their people, who they worship, so they know how their people think. 
How do they react? What's going on in the Mauna? It floors me that we even have Christians up there proclaiming His name. And they come to church on Sundays. But God's grace abounds. He said, oh, are we to continue this sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized in Christ, Jesus were baptized into his what? Death. Meaning that when God, the Savior, died, we what? Died. But that was 2,000 years ago, Hawaiian. How, how we didn't die with him? Symbolically. We've died with him. So every Christian or every sinner that becomes a believer in Jesus today, all right, when they confess their sins and trust in the Lord Jesus for, for salvation, they are connecting with this truth right here. That we've been baptized with Jesus Christ into death. Four, verse four, that we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk, what? In newness of life. Listen to me. The true follower of Jesus will be changed. Listen to this text. It's not, listen to me. Yeah, it's going to be a process, but they will be changed. I can tell you 15 years from now, I'm not the same man. This text is ever so true in true believers. If you are a true follower, and this is what I'm, you're going to question everything you've ever thought in another church. Great. Thank you, God. Why? Because you should make every man a liar, even including me, but the word, the truth. This, this is where you got to go home and you got to expose the text for yourself. Not because pastor and pastor said those. So I've heard that every time. And then this is what happens. Their theology is based on scenarios, not on truth. Well, what if somebody who lived in an unreached area never heard of the name of Jesus? What happens to them? It's plain black and white. If you don't know Jesus, I say this with grace. You don't know Jesus. They don't. There's no in between. They got to know Jesus. So how will they know Jesus? That's why I told you to pray. You're the answer. You're the answer. Oh, but my grandbabies and all that. Man, if your grandbabies haven't been told about Jesus yet, shame on you. If your children haven't been taught, shame on you. It's not up to you anyway. Preach, move on. Preach, move on. Promise. That's how I live my life. If I, if I worried about everybody's feelings and everybody's theological conviction and all that, and if I don't move forward, then I'll become an insane, man. I got to trust that the word is true. I got to believe what I preach. Amen? We got to believe what we look. This screams heavy to my heart because here's the takeaway. It's on the screen. A true follower of Christ who has been grace given by Jesus, listen to me, not might, will walk in that grace because grace tells us that it is completely dependent on the finished work of Jesus and not you. Oh, release it. There should be some glories in this room. If you think your faith, walking in Jesus, is dependent on you, rebuke that in the name of Jesus. Stop fighting it. Release it. Let the law increase your trespass this morning. Receive grace. Move on. This should make us more urgent than ever. This should, like when I get home, when we get around the lunch table today, as much as I want my 49ers to lick the Packers today, all right, I'm going to have conversations with my boys. And I want to make known that, I want to know that they know Jesus. 
Are you with me? Yes, we want to make sure that uh, the Packers know Jesus too. Hallelujah. So how should we respond today? The band is coming up. How should we respond today? We must grow in grace. Let me say that again. We must grow in grace. I, I want you, it's not a specific action step, but I want you to hear two authors and scholars that hold dear to my heart. I found this online this week and it spoke, it ministered to my heart. Both of them, his name A.W. The first one, the name A.W. Pink. Writers before our time. A.W. Pink says this, Growing grace is a deepening realization of our nothingness. Can I get a witness there, right? It is a heartfelt recognition that we are not worthy of the least of God's mercies. Meditate on those words right now. Meditate on these words. And then I want to end it with this last statement. A.W. Tozer. This like pumps me up. God's purpose. God's reason. God's purpose in redemption is to make worshipers out of rebels. Holy junk. That will bless you today. We are all rebels before a holy God. And the law has increased our trespass. And the trespasses has led us to this one very truth, that God is merciful and God is gracious. If you believe that, would you stand with me today? Would you be ready as rebels to be true worshipers of the King? And when you sing, don't sing casually. May this be the response of us growing deeper into God's grace. That growing in His grace is deepening our realization that we are nothing. And that by God's purpose in redemption, He has made worshipers out of rebels. Would you stretch your hands, rebels? Stretch your hands. And would you sing this chorus loud and proud? Oh, praise. Sing it out now, loud and proud. Oh, praise the name of the Lord. songs and the emotion could cut off theological reasoning but I want to go to verse 1 babe give verse 1 I want you to read and sing this word and I want you to hear it from a gospel point gospel centered gospel focused gospel urgent and I want you to sing this loud and proud I cast my mind to Calvary one two three I cast my mind just the saints just the saints Sing out, saints. Sing it out. Think about what you're singing. Think about what you're saying. His hands, his feet. My Savior.